0: Section Two of Celebrated Crimes, Volume Eight, Part Two, Vaninka by Alexandre Dumas, translated by George Burnham Ives. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section Two. That night, Souvarow invited General Becker to supper with him, and asked him by whom he had been taken prisoner. Becker replied that it was a young officer belonging to the regiment which had first entered Pozzo. Souvarow immediately inquired what regiment this was and discovered that it was the Semenovskoy. He then ordered that inquiries should be made to ascertain the young officer's name. Shortly afterwards, sub-lieutenant Feder Romeloff was announced. He presented General Becker's sword to Souverel, who invited him to remain and to have supper with his prisoner. Next day, Feder wrote to his protector, "'I have kept my word. I am a lieutenant.' And Field Marshal Souvarow has requested His Majesty Paul I to bestow upon me the order of Saint Vladimir. On 28th of April, Souvarow entered Milan, which Moreau had just abandoned in order to retreat beyond Tessino. The following proclamation was by his order posted on all the walls of the capital. It admirably paints the spirit of the Muscovite the victorious army of the apostolical and roman emperor is here it has fought solely for the restoration of the holy faith the clergy nobility and ancient government of italy people join us for god and the faith for we have arrived with an army at milan and placentia to assist you the dearly bought victories of Trebia and novi succeeded that of cassano and left suvaral so much weakened that he was unable to profit by them besides Just when the Russian general was about to resume his march, a new plan of campaign arrived, sent by the Aulek Council at Vienna. The Allied powers had decided upon the invasion of France, and had fixed the route each general must follow in order to accomplish this new project. Its way decided that Souvarow should invade France by Switzerland, and that the Archduke should yield him his positions and descend on the Lower Rhine. The troops with which Souvarow was to operate against Massena from this time were the 30,000 Russians he had with him, 30,000 others detached from the reserve army commanded by Count Tolstoy in Galicia, who were to be led to join him in Switzerland by General Korsakoff, about 30,000 Austrians under General Hotze, and lastly, five or 6,000 French emigrants under the Prince de Conde, in all an army of 90 or 95,000 men the austrians were to oppose moreau and macdonald Futter had been wounded when entering Novi, but suvarau had rewarded him with a second cross and the rank of captain hastened his convalescence so that the young officer more happy than proud of the new rank he had received was in a condition to follow the army when on thirteenth september it moved towards salvedra and entered the valley of tessino so far all had gone well and as long as they remained in the rich and beautiful Italian plains, Souvarow had nothing but praise for the courage and devotion of his soldiers. But when to the fertile fields of Lombardy, watered by its beautiful river, succeeded the rough ways of the Levantine, and when the lofty summits of the saint Cottard, covered with the eternal snows, rose before them, their enthusiasm was quenched their energy disappeared and melancholy forebodings filled the hearts of these savage children of the north unexpected grumblings ran through the ranks then suddenly the vanguard stopped and declared that it would go no farther in vain Feder, who commanded a company begged and entreated his own men to set an example by continuing the march they threw down their arms and lay down beside them just as they had given this proof of insubordination fresh murmurs sounding like an approaching storm rose from the rear of the army they were caused by the sight of suvarau who was riding from the rear to the vanguard and who arrived at the front accompanied by this terrible proof of mutiny and insubordination when he reached the head of the column the murmurings had developed into imprecations Then Souvarow addressed his soldiers with that savage eloquence to which he owed the miracles he had effected with them, but cries of, Retreat! Retreat! drowned his voice. Then he chose out the most mutinous, and had them thrashed until they were overcome by this shameful punishment. But the thrashings had no more influence than the exhortation, and the shouts continued, Souvarow saw that all was lost if he did not employ some powerful and unexpected means of regaining the mutineers. He advanced towards Feder. "'Captain,' said he, "'leave these fools here. Take eight non-commissioned officers and dig a grave.' Feder, astonished, gazed at his general as though demanding an explanation of this strange order. "'Obey orders,' said Suvaral. Feder obeyed and the eight men set to work.' and ten minutes later the grave was dug, greatly to the astonishment of the whole army, who had gathered in a semicircle on the rising slopes of the two hills which bordered the road, standing as if on the steps of a huge amphitheatre. Souvarow dismounted from his horse, broke his sword in two and threw it into the grave, detached his epaulettes one by one, and threw them after his sword, dragged off the decorations which covered his breast, and cast these after the sword and epaulettes and then stripping himself naked he lay down in the grave himself crying in a loud voice cover me with earth leave your general here you are no longer my children and i am no longer your father nothing remains to me but death at these strange words which were uttered in so powerful a voice that they were heard by the whole army the Russian grenadiers threw themselves, weeping into the grave, and raising their general asked pardon of him, entreating him to lead them again against the enemy. "'At last!' cried Souvarow, "'I recognize my children again. To the enemy!' Not cries, but yells of joy greeted his words. Souvaral dressed himself again, and whilst he was dressing, the leaders of the mutiny crept in the dust to kiss his feet then when his epaulettes were replaced on his shoulders and when his decorations again shone on his breast he remounted his horse followed by the army the soldiers swearing with one voice that they would all die rather than abandon their father the same day suvarau attacked Arollo, but his luck had turned the conqueror of cassano trebia and novi had left his good fortune behind on the plains of italy for twelve hours six hundred french opposed three thousand russian grenadiers beneath the walls of the town and so successfully that night fell without souvarau being able to defeat them next day he marched the whole of his troops against this handful of brave men but the sky clouded over and the wind blew a bitter rain into the faces of the russians The French profited by this circumstance to beat a retreat, evacuating the valley of Ursern, crossing the Russe, and taking up their position on the heights of the Furka and Grimsel. One portion of the Russian army's design had been achieved. They were masters of the Saint-Cotard. It is true that as soon as they marched farther on, the French would retake it and cut off their retreat. But what did this matter to Suvarao? Did he not always march forward? He marched on then, without worrying about that which was behind him, reached Andermatt, cleared de and found Le Curb guarding the defile of the devil's bridge with fifteen hundred men. There, the struggle began again for three days. Fifteen hundred Frenchmen kept thirty thousand Russians at bay. Souvaral raged like a lion trapped in a snare, for he could not understand this change of fortune. At last, on the fourth day, he heard that General Korsakoff, who had preceded him and who was to rejoin him later, had been beaten by Molitor, and that Massina had recaptured Zurich and occupied the canton of Glarus. Souvarow now gave up the attempt to proceed up the valley of the Rus, and wrote to Korsakoff and Jalakai. "'I hasten to retrieve your losses. Stand firm as ramparts. You shall answer to me with your heads for every step in retreat that you take.' the aide-de-camp was also charged to communicate to the russian and austrian generals a verbal plan of battle generals linkskin and Yalakai were to attack the french troops separately and then to join the forces in the valley of glaris into which Souvarow himself was to descend by the clontal thus hemming Molotar in between two walls of iron Souvarow was so sure that this plan would be successful that when he arrived on the borders of the lake of clontal he sent a bearer with a flag of truce, summoning Molotar to surrender, seeing that he was surrounded on every side. Molotar replied to the field-marshal that his proposed meeting with his generals had failed, as he had beaten them one after the other, and driven them back into the Grissons, and that moreover in retaliation, as Messina was advancing by Muota, it was he, Souvaral, who was between two fires, and therefore he called upon him to lay down his arms instead. On hearing this strange reply, Souvarow thought he must be dreaming, but soon recovering himself and realizing the danger of his position in the defiles, he threw himself on General Molitor, who received him at the point of the bayonet, and then closing up the pass with twelve hundred men, the French succeeded in holding fifteen to eighteen thousand Russians in check for eight hours. At length night came, and Molitor evacuated the Klontal and retired towards the Linth; to defend the bridges of Neufels and Mollus. The old field-marshal rushed like a torrent over Glarus and Miltodi. There he learnt that Molotar had told him the truth, and that Jalakai and Linkskin had been beaten and dispersed, that Messina was advancing on Schwitz, and that General Rosenberg, who had been given the defence of the bridge of Muota, had been forced to retreat, so that he found himself in the position in which he had hoped to place Molotar no time was to be lost in retreating Souvarow hurried through the passes of Engi, schwaden and elm his flight was so hurried that he was obliged to abandon his wounded and part of his artillery immediately the french rushed in pursuit among the precipices and clouds one saw whole armies passing over places where chamois hunters took off their shoes and walked barefoot holding on by their hands to prevent themselves from falling three nations had come from three different parts to a meeting place in the home of the eagles as if to allow those nearest god to judge the justice of their cause there were times when the frozen mountains changed into volcanoes when cascades now filled with blood fell into the valleys and avalanches of human beings rolled down the deepest precipices death reaped such a harvest there where human life had never been before that the vultures becoming fastidious through the abundance picked out only the eyes of the corpses to carry to their young at least so says the tradition of the peasants of these mountains Souvarow was able to rally his troops at length in the neighborhood of lindau he recalled korsakoff who still occupied Bregenz, but all his troops together did not number more than thirty thousand men all that remained of the eighty thousand whom paul had furnished as his contingent in the coalition in fifteen days messina had defeated three separate armies each numerically stronger than his own souvarau furious at having been defeated by these same republicans whom he had sworn to exterminate blamed the austrians for his defeat and declared that he awaited orders from his emperor to whom he had made known the treachery of the allies before attempting anything further with the coalition Paul's answer was that he should immediately return to Russia with his soldiers, arriving at St. Petersburg as soon as possible, where a triumphal entry awaited them. The same Ukasa declared that Suviral should be quartered in the imperial palace for the rest of his life, and lastly that a monument should be raised to him in one of the public places of St. Petersburg. Fedor was thus about to see Vaninka once more. Throughout the campaign, where there was a chance of danger, whether in the plains of Italy, in the defiles of Tessina, or on the glaciers of Mount Pragal, he was the first to throw himself into it, and his name had frequently been mentioned as worthy of distinction. Souveral was too brave himself to be prodigal of honors, where they were not merited. Feder was returning, as he had promised, worthy of his noble protector's friendship, and who knows, perhaps worthy of Vaninka's love field marshal Suvarau had made a friend of him and none could know to what this friendship might not lead for paul honoured Souvarow like one of the ancient heroes but no one could rely upon paul for his character was made up of extreme impulses without having done anything to offend his master and without knowing the cause of his disgrace Souvarow, on arriving at riga received a private letter which informed him in the emperor's name that having tolerated an infraction of the laws of discipline among his soldiers the emperor deprived him of all the honors with which he had been invested and also forbade him to appear before him such tidings fell like a thunderbolt upon the old warrior already embittered by his reverses he was heartbroken that such storm clouds should tarnish the end of his glorious day in consequence of this order he assembled all his officers in the marketplace of riga and took leave of them sorrowfully like a father taking leave of his family having embraced the generals and colonels and having shaken hands with the others he said good-bye to them once more and left them free to continue their march to their destination Souvarow took a sledge and travelling night and day arrived incognito in the capital which he was to have entered in triumph and was driven to a distant suburb to the house of one of his nieces where he died of a broken heart fifteen days afterwards. On his own account, Fedor travelled almost as rapidly as his general and entered St. Petersburg without having sent any letter to announce his arrival. As he had no parent in the capital, and as his entire existence was concentrated in one person, he drove direct to the general's house, which was situated in the prospect of Niewski, at an angle of the Catherine Canal. Having arrived there, he sprang out of his carriage, entered the courtyard, and bounded up the steps. He opened the antechamber door, and precipitated himself into the midst of the servants and subordinate household officers. They cried out with surprise upon seeing him. He asked them where the general was. They replied by pointing to the door of the dining room. He was in there, breakfasting with his daughter. Then, through a strange reaction, Futter felt his knees failing him, and he was obliged to lean against the wall to prevent himself from falling. At this moment, when he was about to see Vaninka again, this soul of his soul, for whom alone he had done so much, he dreaded lest he should not find her the same as when he had left her. Suddenly the dining room door opened and Vaninka appeared. Seeing the young man, she uttered a cry, and turning to the general said, "'Father, it is Fedor.' and the expression of her voice left no doubt of the sentiment which inspired it. "'Fedder!' cried the general, springing forward and holding out his arms. Fedder did not know whether to throw himself at the feet of Vaninka or into the arms of her father. He felt that his first recognition ought to be devoted to respect and gratitude, and threw himself into the general's arms. Had he acted otherwise, it would have been an avowal of his love, and he had no right to avow this love till he knew that it was reciprocated, Fetter then turned, and, as at parting, sank on his knee before Vaninka. But a moment had sufficed for the haughty girl to banish the feeling she had shown. The blush, which had suffused her cheek, had disappeared, and she had become again cold and haughty, like an alabaster statue, a masterpiece of pride begun by nature and finished by education. Fetter kissed her hand. It was trembling but cold, and he felt his heart sink, and thought he was about to die why vaninka said the general why are you so cool to a friend who has caused us so much anxiety and yet so much pleasure come fedor kiss my daughter fedor rose entreatingly but waited motionless that another permission might confirm that of the general did you not hear my father said vaninka smiling but nevertheless possessing sufficient self-control to prevent the emotion she was feeling from appearing in her voice. Fetter stooped to kiss Vaninka, and as he held her hands it seemed to him that she lightly pressed his own with a nervous, involuntary movement. A feeble cry of joy nearly escaped him when, suddenly looking at Vaninka, he was astonished at her pallor. Her lips were as white as death. The general made Fedor sit down at the table. Vaninka took her place again, and as by chance she was seated with her back to the light, the general noticed nothing. Breakfast passed in relating and listening to an account of this strange campaign which began under the burning sun of Italy and ended in the glaciers of Switzerland. As there are no journals in St. Petersburg which publish anything other than that which is permitted by the emperor, Souvarow's successes were spread abroad, but his reverses were ignored. Fetter described the former with modesty and the latter with frankness one can imagine the immense interest the general took in Feder's story his two captains epaulettes and the decorations on his breast proved that the young man had modestly suppressed his own part in the story he had told but the general too courageous to fear that he might share in Souvarow's disgrace had already visited the dying field-marshal and had heard from him an account of his young protege's bravery therefore when Feder had finished his story it was the general's turn to enumerate all the fine things Feder had done in a campaign of less than a year having finished this enumeration he added that he intended next day to ask the emperor's permission to take the young captain for his aide-de-camp Feder, hearing this wished to throw himself at the general's feet but he received him again in his arms and to show Feder how certain he was that he would be successful in his request he fixed the rooms that the young man was to occupy in the house at once the next day the general returned from the palace of saint michael with the pleasant news that his request had been granted fedor was overwhelmed with joy from this time he was to form part of the general's family living under the same roof as vaninka seeing her constantly meeting her frequently in the rooms seeing her pass like an apparition at the end of a corridor finding himself twice a day at the same table with her. All this was more than Fedor had ever dared hope, and he thought for a time that he had attained complete happiness. For her part, Vaninka, although she was so proud, at the bottom of her heart took a keen interest in Fedor. He had left her with the certainty that he loved her, and during his absence her woman's pride had been gratified by the glory he had acquired, in the hope of bridging the distance which separated them, so that when she saw him return, with this distance between them lessened, she felt by the beating of her heart that gratified pride was changing into a more tender sentiment, and that for her part she loved Fedor as much as it was possible for her to love anyone. She had nevertheless concealed these feelings under an appearance of haughty indifference, for Veninka was made so. She intended to let Fedor know some day that she loved him but until the time came when it pleased her to reveal it she did not wish the young man to discover her love things went on in this way for several months and the circumstances which had at first appeared to fetter as the height of happiness soon became awful torture to love and to feel his heart ever on the point of avowing its love to be from morning till night in the company of the beloved one to meet her hand at the table to touch her dress in a narrow corridor To feel her leaning on his arm when they entered a salon or left the ballroom, always to have ceaselessly to control every word, look, or movement which might betray his feelings, no human power could endure such a struggle. Vaninka saw that Fedor could not keep his secret much longer, and determined to anticipate the avowal which she saw every moment on the point of escaping his heart. One day, when they were alone, she saw the hopeless efforts the young man was making to hide his feelings from her. She went straight up to him, and, looking at him fixedly, said, "'You love me?' "'Forgive me, forgive me!' cried the young man, clasping his hands. "'Why should you ask me to forgive you, Fedor? Is not your love genuine?' "'Yes, yes, genuine, but hopeless.' "'Why, hopeless? Does not my father love you as a son?' said Vaninka. "'Oh!' what do you mean cried fetter do you mean that if your father will stow your hand upon me that you will then consent are you not both noble in heart and by birth fetter you are not wealthy it is true then i am rich enough for both then i am not indifferent to you i at least prefer you to anyone else i have met vaninka The young girl drew herself away proudly. "'Forgive me,' said Feder. "'What am I doing? You have but to order. I have no wish apart from you. I dread lest I shall offend you. Tell me what to do, and I will obey.' "'The first thing you must do, Feder, is to ask my father's consent.' "'So you will allow me to take this step?' "'Yes.' but on one condition. What is it? Tell me. My father, whatever his answer must never know that I have consented to your making this application to him. No one must know that you are following my instructions. The world must remain ignorant of the confession I have just made to you, and lastly, you must not ask me, whatever happens, to help you in any other way than with my good wishes.' "'Whatever you please, I will do everything you wish me to do. Do you not grant me a thousand times more than I dared hope? And if your father refuses me, do I not know myself that you are sharing my grief?' cried Fedor. "'Yes, but that will not happen, I hope,' said Vaninka, holding out her hand to the young officer who kissed it passionately. "'Now be hopeful and take courage.' and Vaninka retired, leaving the young man a hundred times more agitated and moved than she was herself, woman though she was. The same day, Fetter asked for an interview with the general. The general received his aide-de-camp as usual, with a genial and smiling countenance, but with the first words Fetter uttered his face darkened. However, when he heard the young man's description of the love, so true, constant, and passionate, that he felt for Vaninka, and when he heard that this passion had been the motive power of those glorious deeds he had praised so often he held out his hand to fetter almost as moved as the young soldier and then the general told him that while he had been away and ignorant of his love for vaninka in whom he had observed no trace of its being reciprocated he had at the emperor's desire promised her hand to the son of a privy councillor. the only stipulation that the general had made was that he should not be separated from his daughter until she had attained the age of eighteen vaninka only had five months more to spend under her father's roof nothing more could be said in russia the emperor's wish is an order and from the moment that it is expressed no subject would oppose it even in thought however the refusal had imprinted such despair on the young man's face that the general touched by his silent and resigned sorrow held out his arms to him and Fetter flung himself into them with loud sobs then the general questioned him about his daughter and Fetter answered as he had promised that vaninka was ignorant of everything and that the proposal came from him alone without her knowledge this assurance calmed the general he had feared that he was making two people wretched at dinner time vaninka came downstairs and found her father alone Fetter had not enough courage to be present at the meal and to meet her again, just when he had lost all hope. He had taken a sleigh and driven out to the outskirts of the city. During the whole time dinner lasted, Vaninka and the general hardly exchanged a word, but although this silence was so expressive, Vaninka controlled her face with her usual power, and the general alone appeared sad and dejected. That evening, just when Vaninka was going downstairs, tea was brought to her room with the message that the general was fatigued, and had retired vaninka asked some questions about the nature of his indisposition and finding that it was not serious she told the servant who had brought her the message to ask her father to send for her if he wanted anything the general sent to say that he thanked her but he only required quiet and rest vaninka announced that she would retire also and the servant withdrew hardly had he left the room when vaninka ordered Anushka, her foster-sister who acted as her maid, to be on the watch for Fedor's return and to let her know as soon as he came in. At eleven o'clock the gate of the mansion opened, Fedor got out of his sleigh and immediately went up to his room. He threw himself upon a sofa, overwhelmed by his thoughts. About midnight he heard someone tapping at the door. Much astonished he got up and opened it. It was Anushka, who came with a message from her mistress that Vaninka wished to see him immediately." Although he was astonished at this message, which he was far from expecting, Fedor obeyed. He found Vaninka seated, dressed in a white robe, and as she was paler than usual, he stopped at the door, for it seemed to him that he was gazing at a marble statue. "'Come in,' said Vaninka calmly. Fedor approached, drawn by her voice like steel to a magnet. Anushka shut the door behind him. "'Well, and what did my father say?' said Vaninka. Ferdinand told her all that had happened. The young girl listened to his story with an unmoved countenance but her lips. The only part of her face which seemed to have any color became as white as the dressing gown she was wearing. Ferdinand, on the contrary, was consumed by a fever and appeared nearly out of his senses. "'Now, what do you intend to do?' said Vaninka, in the same cold tone in which she had asked the other questions you ask me what i intend to do vaninka what do you wish me to do what can i do but flee from st petersburg and seek death in the first corner of russia where war may break out in order not to repay my patron's kindness by some infamous baseness you are a fool said vaninka with a mixed smile of triumph and contempt for from that moment she felt her superiority over Fedor and saw that she would rule him like a queen for the rest of her life. "'Then order me. Am I not your slave?' cried the young soldier. "'You must stay here,' said Vaninka. "'Stay here?' "'Yes, only women and children will thus confess themselves beaten at the first blow. A man, if he be worthy of the name, fights.' fight against whom against your father never who suggested that you should contend against my father it is against events that you must strive for the generality of men do not govern events but are carried away by them appear to my father as though you were fighting against your love and you will think that you have mastered yourself as i am supposed to be ignorant of your proposal i shall not be suspected i will demand two years more freedom and i shall obtain them who knows what may happen in the course of two years the emperor may die my betrothed may die my father may god protect him my father himself may die but if they force you to marry force me interrupted vaninka and a deep flush rose to her cheek and immediately disappeared again and who will force me to do anything father he loves me too well the emperor he has enough worries in his own family without introducing them into another's besides there is always a last resource when every other expedient fails the neva only flows a few paces from here and its waters are deep vedder uttered a cry for in the young girl's knit brows and tightly compressed lips there was so much resolution that he understood that they might break this child but that they would not bend her but foetre's heart was too much in harmony with the plan vaninka had proposed his objections once removed he did not seek fresh ones besides had he had the courage to do so vaninka's promise to make up in secret to him for the dissimulation she was obliged to practice in public would have conquered his last scruples vaninka whose determined character had been accentuated by her education had an unbounded influence over all who came in contact with her. Even the general, without knowing why, he obeyed her. Feder submitted like a child to everything she wished, and the young girl's love was increased by the wishes she opposed, and by a feeling of gratified pride. It was some days after this nocturnal decision that the knouting had taken place at which our readers have assisted. It was for some slight fault, and Gregory had been the victim, Vaninka having complained to her father about him. Feder, who as aide-de-camp had been obliged to preside over gregory's punishment had paid no more attention to the threats the serf had uttered on retiring ivan the coachman who after having been executioner had become surgeon had applied compresses of salt and water to heal up the scarred shoulders of his victim gregory had remained three days in the infirmary and during this time he had turned over in his mind every possible means of vengeance then at the end of three days Being healed, he had returned to his duty, and soon everyone except he had forgotten the punishment. If Gregory had been a real Russian, he would soon have forgotten it all, for this punishment is too familiar to the rough Muscovite for him to remember it long, and with rancor. Gregory, as we have said, had Greek blood in his veins. He dissembled and remembered." although gregory was a serf his duties had little by little brought him into greater familiarity with the general than any of the other servants besides in every country in the world barbers have great license with those they shave this is perhaps due to the fact that a man is instinctively more gracious to another who for ten minutes every day holds his life in his hands gregory rejoiced in the immunity of his profession and it nearly always happened that the barber's daily operation on the general's chin passed in conversation, of which he bore the chief part End of section two Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.